This is the Adoptive Mom Podcast. Adoption may look different for each family, but we need solidarity from other crazy people who took this leap. And that is what we do here. We encourage, we build up, we share the wins and losses. We lean on each other and we get through this together. Thanks for joining us. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. You are listening to Season 5, Episode 55, and I am your host as always, Alex Fitton. I have a great show for y'all today featuring my guest and my faller. So this past weekend was the big Season 5 launch party I've been talking to you guys about, and thank you so, so much to everyone who came Anne and I did a live recording at the party, and that's what you guys will be listening to today. We talked about hard diagnoses and health issues after adoption, but having nothing to do with adoption. So I'm really excited for you guys to listen in on that. Um, Also, the video of our conversation is up as well. You can see us in action over on YouTube if you would like to do that. I want to quickly remind you guys, though, that if you enjoyed the free bonus resources last week and want to make sure you're getting them every week... Jump over to patreon.com slash the adoptive mom and sign up for one of the five levels of support there. That will help me keep the show rolling and make you a partner and producer of the show. Plus, it gives you awesome benefits like free stuff, discounts, and exclusive content. Um, okay, now for my live interview with Anne. Hey guys, this is Brian. I'm jumping in here real quick. I'm actually the podcast editor on the back end that makes sure that everything sounds great for you to listen in every single week. But the reason I'm jumping in today is because Alex actually recorded that intro, but then did not tee up her own talk that she gave at our live event this past weekend. And so I wanted to do that and give her that opportunity to tell um, our story. And so I hope you enjoy it. And then we're going to jump into the interview with Ann Mythaler, which was so, so good. But I also wanted to say thank you for everyone who came out and those who have supported our journey uh, along the way. And so thank you so much for listening to the podcast every week and for providing that feedback. We love it and hope you continue to enjoy it. I know that most of you in this room know who I am and know about my family, but I'm going to give you a recap. So clearly we have four kids, which Kelly said, and that in and of itself is not that exciting, but how we got there is the interesting part. So um, we always knew that adoption was part of our plan. Uh, My parents who are here, they tell me that adoption was always part of my plan since they can remember. So clearly since I can remember as well. And I'm really thankful to them for fostering that in me just all growing up and always encouraging me to follow that calling. So thank you guys. Um, so Brian and I got married in 2012. And like I said, we always knew that adoption was going to be part of our journey. We just didn't know our timing. So it turns out our timing was, um, all at the same time. So I was pregnant. What Kelly left out of her story is that she on the panel talked about how she was pregnant when she adopted. So I was giant pregnant sitting at training for adoption through the call. And I was like, um, yes, the one who's also crazy. Can I talk to you? And she was like, I'm going to shoot you straight. It's awful, but you'll be okay. (laughs) Um, So we had Grady in 2014. We got Clark in 2015. A week and a half later, we found out I was pregnant with Jane by surprise. And we were like, okay, well, let's do this, I guess. Um, It turns out God was not done still. So two months later, we found out about Rock, 
the one in the glasses there. So I'm like halfway through my pregnancy with Jane. We bring home a newborn who's withdrawing from drugs and lots of other stuff. And that was when our family was complete. But somewhere along the way, I realized that this is like really hard. Like when they say it's hard and you're like, oh, yeah, sure. Uh, you really just can't understand what that means until you're in it. And I was like, surely I'm not the only one. But we were in such a pit of just isolation and loneliness that um, it was really hard to get out of that. It was really hard to look around. And uh, coming from neurotypical families, we were not used to needing that much from other people. So when we finally got to the point where we were just humbled enough to reach out for help, and we did, and things started to get a little bit better. You know, I feel like we got to like here, like our heads were out of the pit at least a little bit. And um, I started looking around and I was like, you know, I really can't be the only one who's going through this stuff. And we were uh, driving home from a vacation with babies, which is a trip. Let's just be clear. That is not a vacation. And I'm driving in the middle of the night. Everyone else is asleep. And it hits me, this idea for a podcast to, you know, moms are busy. They don't have time to go and meet together always. And so a podcast would be a really great way for women to connect over this incredibly hard thing that moms carry the brunt of, you guys. I mean, we're the first responders and we're the ones who are hit with the trauma more than anyone else often. So I shake Brian awake. Um, I like, you know, just tell him my idea in not very many words. And I'm like, isn't that cool? And he mumbles incoherently and rolls over and goes back to sleep. So in the morning, I was like, do you remember what I talked to you about last night? And he was, he said no. So I told him again. And at the end of it, I was like, wouldn't that be cool to do in a few years, like when we're okay? And he was like, no, we're going to do it now. So one month later, we launched the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And um, we had no idea that it would take off the way it did. And we're so blessed and humbled and honored that it has and that people really do seem to uh, need it like I did, need that connection. So um, that's the Adoptive Mom Podcast in a nutshell. And like I said, you guys have been my supporters and my cheerleaders, and I'm so thankful that you're here tonight. Um, I've brought with each new season, I've brought some new stuff, but with the fifth season, I decided to like, just go big or go home. So I want to tell you guys about some of the new implementations. First and foremost, the adoptive mom podcast got a makeover and I'm really excited about it. We hired a professional designer who just really got my vision for the podcast and was able to redo our website. And we have lots of products that are here tonight. There's t-shirts and cookies and all the stuff that has all of the new branding. Um, also... We have a Facebook group that now has like almost 350 members, which is so crazy that there's that many women that want to be a part of this community. Um, we also joined a um, podcast network who supports uh, independently produced podcasts. And the founder of that, Daniel Quinn, is in the audience here tonight. So thank you to Voice Press. So another thing that I'm really excited about is, you know, consistently people have been asking for more content more often, just more from the podcast. And this season, I'm super excited to announce that I'm doing a second weekly show and a five day a week Bible study guide to go along with each episode. And lastly, I want to thank you guys, because without you, this podcast wouldn't exist. Thank you for supporting me and encouraging me and listening to the podcast and being part of those 30,000 plus downloads. And thank you for being here tonight. I'm just so excited to be able to celebrate five seasons with you guys. Thank you so much. Okay, everyone, welcome to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. And you guys, this is the first live podcast recording. Woo! Woo!
And for the first live podcast recording, we had to have a really special guest. And that special guest is actually my very first guest ever. So very first live guest and very first ever guest. So welcome, Anne Mythaller. Thank you. Thank you. How does it feel? This is really popular. It's great. Although I just found out that I'm like not the first person to be on your podcast two or three times. But other than that, it's fine. I'm sorry. I'll get you a laminated card. That'd make up for it. I'm (laughs) So I'm really excited to have you on the show. And like I said, you know, if you guys have not heard her show, her episode, the the one before, go to literally season one, episode one. Super easy to remember. And hear her whole story. But I'm going to ask you to give you, ask you to give us rather, a snapshot of your adoption story and just your family story in general. Okay, yeah. Um, I'm going to try to, like, make it into a snapshot, so... um, You will be graded on this, so... Oh, no. (laughs) Um, So, I mean, got married. Um, Actually, foster care had always been kind of part of something that we talked about. My mother was in foster care when she was growing up, and um, my husband's parents were foster parents, so it was something that we'd always talked about. We got married... Um, we're going to open our home to foster care and found out at the time there was a, you had to be married for two years before you could open your home. That does not exist anymore. Um, but by the time that we've been op- op- or been married for two years, uh, we had our first daughter, Emily. Um, and then along came Kylie four years later and this like nagging thing of foster care adoption kept coming back. Um, so we opened our home. Actually, I think Kylie was six months old when we started going through the process to open our home for foster care. Um, we were going to be an adopt-only home because we couldn't introduce the chaos and instability of foster care to it's our... adorable. I know. Wasn't I precious? <laughs> um, so then I got open. We sat open for uh, nine months as an adopt-only home and never heard back about any of the inquiries we made. And in that time, um, God really just used that time for me to to launch the call in Northwest Arkansas. So I see that wait was necessary. But then we switched to foster care. And, um, and then, I mean, had... We were open and closed. Our home was open and closed for several years, just different periods of time, but had 25 children in and out of our home, um, adopted six. So now my um, biological daughters are 16 and 11, and my adopted children, my oldest will be 26 on Monday. Um, And then I have a 25-year-old. My boys are nine, and then an eight-year-old and a five-year-old. Yes. And we've talked about this before. You're part of the Accidental Twins Club. Accidental Twins, yep. Slash kind of Accidental Triplets, right? Kind of, yeah, yeah. Um, okay. And so that, that kind of brings me to my next thing I want to talk to you about. So you, last time we recorded this, this podcast, you were in a really hard place. Yeah. Um, and I am so grateful that you were willing to come on the show, but I, I'm amazed at your resilience to be able to talk about that stuff. And I think, I mean, that's why the show exists. That's why, that's what we do is we, we tell people like, Hey, it's hard for me too. So what was, what was going on in your world back then? Oh goodness. Um, so I was right in the middle of, um, my marriage had fallen apart. So I was single parenting all of my children. And um, the day after my our last adoption, our baby was diagnosed with leukemia. So we were right in the middle of the hardest part of her treatment, um, navigating all of that and what that looks like for, for her and for her care, but also for the rest of my kids, plus figuring out single parenting and, and just shepherding their hurting hearts through a lot of trauma. Yeah. And yeah. then I'm like, hey, hey, you want to talk about it on a podcast? It's, it's going to be fun. <laughs> and you were like, sure, why not? Sure. <laughs> um, 
I, and I, I love that you were able to talk about the hard stuff. And, and back then, you know, one of my favorite quotes from that episode, and I don't even know if you remember this, but you talked about, um, you talked about your emotions in relation to color. Yeah. And um, could you give us like a, you know, recap of what that was? I mean, I don't know exactly how I said it, but I still, I mean, I still talk about it because it still feels that same way. But I feel like most of the time when people's lives are just happy and everything is comfortable, you kind of live in this space of like the yellows and the oranges and, and everything is happy and wonderful. And walking through this season of hard felt like there was just this depth of color, the, these blues and these purples. And I, I, I got to experience all of that in a really beautiful way. Um, and in a way that most people I don't think get to. There, there was a lot of darkness, but there was a lot of beauty to it. Yeah. And you didn't allow yourself to escape from that. And I think that's another thing that we can all really learn from when we're going through hard stuff, which that's what we're going to be talking about in this episode is is the hard stuff that we experience as adoptive parents. But I love that you didn't take the easy way out. No, I'm a feeler of the feelings. So I like to, I I will allow myself to just sit in those and feel them. And I, I don't know, kind of honor them before I say, okay, we're gonna, we've learned what we've, we need to learn here. Now we can move on. Yes. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's a lot. So I, before we jump into the real topic that I want to talk about, which is when um, when our kids have really hard diagnoses that have nothing to do with adoption. Yeah. But first, I want to talk about the diagnoses that do have to do with adoption. So what when we're talking about that, what are we talking about? Um, oh, goodness. Anything. There's just there's so many. So we've dealt with um, reactive attachment disorder mm-hmm. in my house. We've dealt with, I mean, a lot of that. But really, um, even just sensory processing across the board, almost every child who comes from a hard place is going to deal with sensory processing, things like that. So any diagnosis that has to deal with their trauma um, comes up like that. Right. And I mean, and those are all those behavioral issues and yes. things that we, it's not necessarily that we expect them because, you know, I talked earlier um, in the evening just about it's a it's a type of heart that you just really can't understand you until can't, you're in you it. You don't have you can't grasp it until right. you're in it, right? Even though people can say words like reactive attachment disorder, we're living in that yellow and you know yeah. orange spot, and we're like, what's that? That's not going to happen to me, and then it does. Well, and you can even in reading it, you're like, okay, I mean that's going to be hard, but you don't recognize how hard it is until mm-hmm. it's in your home, like right. in your personal space. So within all of that, we come to expect to a certain degree some of that stuff. Right. What we don't expect is things like cancer. Right. And so since you and I both have experience with this, I wanted to talk about that. So so walk us through just your experience with, and, and you, we talk about cancer, but you also yeah. have a child with developmental issues mm-hmm. and you also have one with CP. Yes. So you've got a lot of that going on. Tell us all right. about that. Um, I mean, I don't know what you want to know with that, but I mean, parenting them is difficult. And, and when you're parenting a traumatized child and you're dealing with the trauma, there's a, there's a part of that that's expected and there's a part of that that... Um, it always feels like on my bad days when I'm not really all that healthy, I'm cleaning up somebody else's mess, right? But the disability side of that is different, um, and and I don't ever feel like somebody created this. It, do, it just feels like God created this child to be how she is. He made her the way she is for a reason, and I have to just learn to parent her well in that. The cerebral palsy is 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 difficult, too. Um, and navigating all of that and talking to our teachers about that, it's not an easy thing. And then, I mean, cancer is just, it's a whole lot of, it's a whole lot of hard. Yeah, uh, it's a big C word. And we don't, we don't like to talk about those things. Right. Um, and we certainly, you know, any child is the same amount likely to get cancer in theory. I mean, we look yeah. at the statistics across the board. So I think in our minds, we're like, we've adopted, we've done something really hard. Something like cancer is not going to happen too, but yes. it does. Y- yeah, you like to think that you've already like, 
you've checked those boxes. Like, God, I, I, I said this too, like, I signed up for a lot of hard, and I think there was probably a part of me that thought, well, I, I voluntarily did a lot of things that were hard, so maybe I'll be spared for the thing, from the things that are difficult that, like, take you by surprise. Yes. And surprise, it did, I'm yeah. sure. <laughs> um, and, you know, like I said, I have experience with this too. You know, my child has Marfan syndrome, which is a genetic condition. So again, uh, every doctor's appointment, people are like, well, who in your family is the carrier? And I'm like, no one. <laughs> right. Um, so that's always just really, it's a really crazy experience because you have all these trauma disorders. And then on top of that, you have something that's completely separate. And you're like, Has, hasn't this child been through enough? Haven't we been through right. enough? Um, but what I love about you is that you somehow made cancer funny sometimes. <laughs> so, and uh, we talked about this in the last, in the last episode we did together. But one of my favorite things that you post pretty regularly is your daughter and how sassy she was when oh, she yeah. was on steroids. Um, she was kind of a mess, right? Oh, yes. She, well, I mean, she was, she's the baby of eight, so she's already going to be a mess and kind of boss of the world and then add cancer and the cancer treatment to that. And she just brought out the sass all the time. And the doctors and nurses always loved her and got a kick out of her, which kind of fed into it a little. Um, but one of, one of her favorites is there's, there's one video, I think that's what you're referring mm-hmm. to, that I, I post occasionally when I'm, I'm feeling that way, is uh, we, were, we were in the hospital, we were inpatient, and she wasn't sick. It was actually inpatient for a really difficult chemotherapy medication she had to receive so they had to monitor her um, kidneys and her liver and everything and I'm trying to explain to her that she needs it's, it's bath time and the nurses will come around and they will make sure that you're bathing your child and I'm like you have to you have to take a bath and she's like I don't want to take a bath and I was like no you have to take a bath and she looked at me and I was recording it just this whole conversation and she looks at me and she gets her finger and she's like I don't care and I don't care and I was like <laughs> I hear that. Did she take yes. a bath? No, she did not. No, she did not. She won that one. I was like, yeah. You know those warm wipeies? You, I'm just going to need those and we'll swipe her down. <laughs> Call it good. And how many like midnight Walmart runs did you make to get her cupcakes? Or oh, yeah. We were always up in the middle of the night doing something or making ramen noodles at 3 a.m. And I would, I learned as the steroid stuff came, like she took steroids one week out of every month for years. Like, Stock up on, you know, Starbucks cake pops and those (laughs) Chick-fil-A. If you haven't had the Chick-fil-A gravy, it's amazing. So Chick-fil-A gravy was her favorite thing. And uh, ramen noodles, or she would just eat the most random things. And she'd yell at me for tacos. So we were like, okay, let's go to Taco Bell. I'm sure they're still open. It's fine. (laughs) That is, we were all over the place. Yeah. And so in the midst of all this, I mean, like I said, you you made it funny. You made it um, just, you had, I mean, you had to, right? Like it's just such a dark time and you have seven other children that you're messing with and taking care of and dealing with and, and by yourself. Um, So what were, what were some of the biggest struggles in just saying like, this is not her fault. This is not anyone's fault. It just is. Um, And and that's hard because I think as foster and adoptive parents, even though we don't want to, we, we look to to place the blame a little bit. You're yeah. like, this is their mom's fault. This is their dad's fault. This is right. their environment's fault. This is the, the foster system's fault or whatever. But who did you look to? Whose fault was it? You know? Yeah. No, I had a lot of really hard conversations with God about mm-hmm. that um, because that's really the only place you can look in that. And in that whole, like, whose fault is this space, uh, her diagnosis, because it, it got put on the news, actually was a catalyst for her biological family finding us and reaching out and we have continued a relationship with them, but they even reached out. I mean, concern for her care, but then also just saying, this wasn't, nobody in our family has this. Like, and I felt, I felt in that space too, I had to reassure them. Like, I understand this is not a thing that, that is passed down. Like it just happened and it's okay. 
What were some of the hardest things you said to God in that season? Oh my gosh. Um, no, there, like every question you can imagine, just like, I don't think I ever have said, I don't think God is real. Like that has never been a thing, but all the time, like, do you even like me just a little bit? Like, this is really hard. And it was really hard because I had seen God do some amazing things through my work, through my job. He had moved mountains. Every time I prayed for something specifically for the call, it was done immediately. And then here I was and my entire life was crumbling and everything was hard. And it was a really hard thing because I'd seen him move mountains. And then I'm sitting in the midst of like all of these things that I wish he would take away and he just wasn't. Yeah. Um, so we had a, a lot of hard conversations about that and, and, and where where he stands in that and what he allows and what he doesn't allow. And I, I mean, I have, I've had a great team of people next to me this entire time. So when you say like I was doing it alone, I, I was parenting within the walls of my home alone, but I had people that I was texting constantly, like these hard questions to like, does, does God, did he allow it? Did he do it himself? Like what happened here? And I had people that I could ask those questions to who I knew wouldn't judge me for it. Yeah. Well, I mean, and, and you need that. And I yeah. think that, you know, a few years ago, especially um, just in the midst of our adoptions and, and the Marfan disorder diagnosis and um, the reactive attachment disorder diagnosis and just all of these hard things, some of which I had no one to place the blame on, I, I had to go through this journey of realizing that God could take my hard questions. Yeah, God could take those ugly thoughts that I didn't want to even admit to. They would, they would float in my brain. I'd be like, that's not true. Don't even think about that. La, la, la. I can't hear you. Um, and I had to realize like, he can take it. He can take it. So yeah. what was that journey like for you? Just um, realizing those things. Yeah. So one of the things that towards the end of Hayden's treatment, I realized was a blessing and started to be able to talk about was we didn't have a children's hospital in Northwest Arkansas all the time. So every one of her treatments we were in Little Rock for. So I was driving her to Little Rock for 8 a.m. appointments once or twice a week for a long time. Um, and she would fall asleep. We, I actually requested early morning appointments, so we'd leave at 4 o'clock in the morning and drive down. Um, and so I had a lot of time in the car by myself because she would sleep the whole way, and I had all of these conversations with God. And I got to the point where I just realized, like, if you are who you say you are, you know my heart, and you can take these hard questions. And I, I, mean, I had the comfort to be able to say those things, and I knew, like, this is the path you put me on and you can take these hard questions. And I don't think he's shocked by any of that. He's not shocked by our brokenness and our questions and the hard things that we say and ask. Absolutely. And I guess, I, you know, in accordance with that, one of my biggest questions for you is just, was there ever a point, and clearly we know the answer to this question, but was there ever a point where you were saying, I literally cannot do this anymore? And clearly you did keep on doing it. I mean, I did say that several times. In <laughs> but all what of that. <laughs> I just didn't actually have the choice to opt out. <laughs> so there was no opting out. Like I would, I definitely said, I, I can't, I can't, I can't do this anymore. And I can't do this. Um, and I mean, you just don't have a choice. Yeah. You're going to wake up the next day and your kids still have to be fed and you still have to like put one foot in front of the other and, and breathe and, yeah. and do your job. It's so. like that meme where the, uh, the college professor throws all the papers down. And he's like, I'm done with this. And then in the next one, he's like, I have to pick him up. Right. <laughs> so what got you back up? What, what got you through those moments where you were at the end of yourself? Um, several different things. I have, I mean, two, three of my people are in this room who know when to send me um, inappropriate jokes and funny memes just to make me laugh <laughs> and distract me. That's 
helpful. Um, always people just showing up. Those are the same people who on the hardest day said, we're not even going to ask anymore. We're just showing up at your house. You don't get to say no. Um, because they know I would, <laughs> you know, it's, I'm fine. It's fine. You guys do your things that in, and so into your own lives and it's okay. And they would say, no, we're, we're going to show up. Um, and really just, I don't know, probably just being forced to, to do it. Those are the things. And it eventually it got easier. It does get easier. You get through it. Yeah. So reaching outside of your story a bit, yeah. you know, as someone who you get a lot of SOS texts and calls, yeah. um, how many of them do you think are because of this, are because of things that, that have nothing to do with anything other than biology and genetics? How many of those SOS calls? Or just how, how, many, how many adoptive parents do you think deal with these things? Oh, a lot. A lot more than we think deal with um, diagnoses that have nothing to do with the trauma, and they don't know how to navigate that. Um, yeah, I get a lot of those texts. So what do they do? Um, depending on what, what they're dealing with, I'm, I typically know who to help, but to say, you need to find your people. You mm-hmm. need to find your people who have gone before you in this, who can answer your questions, who can sit with you in this. That's a really important thing. Um, so that's always my number one, like, and make sure you have a good doctor that's on the list too. Like I have a fantastic family doctor. And so I never worried about if I needed to ask those medical questions, even the hard ones or the stupid ones, like that I have the, the ability to do that. Yes. And when you're, you're dealing with something that you've literally never seen in your family, there yeah. are a lot of a lot stupid of questions. questions quote well, unquote. and because, I mean, I'd never dealt with cancer before. So one of my questions is, is this, is this caused by prenatal drug exposure or does that somehow make her chances of beating this less likely? Those were some hard questions that I actually took me days to get brave enough to even ask. But um, you have to have your medical community that you can ask those questions to and you have to find the other parents who've gone before you in this um, to ask those questions. And sometimes there's really hard answers to that. You know, in my own experience, uh, Marfan syndrome affects your heart and it put, if, you know, we have to make sure that he doesn't put any unnecessary strain on his heart or even necessary strain. He takes beta blockers to even just stop that. Um, But he was exposed to drugs with antihistamine in them, which put strain on your heart. And so every time I've asked a doctor, is that going to make things worse? They're like, oh, there's just no research for that, which is a really hard answer. It's um, a hard answer. And we get the same things with the chemotherapies that Hayden has taken. Like, I know she's much more likely to have a secondary cancer as an adult. She's, I've, I've talked to other parents who their, their daughters will never have children, um, how, who so they struggle in learning and they have all of these issues and we, we just won't know those things mm-hmm. for our kids. And that's hard too, because you don't, usually sit I just sent her off to kindergarten this week and I you don't usually sit and look at your kindergartner and think there's a really good chance that you'll never have chil- children or that you're going to have a secondary cancer because of the medicine we had to give you to save your life yes those are hard things and you know when we were talking about this episode and we were prepping for it and talking about possible topics there were two kind of in the top and this was one of them and then the other one was talking to people talking to teachers and talking to other caregivers about your child's diagnoses and right. how you almost have categories and you're like well um they're adopted and they've had a rough start and so here's the list of things that are from that and then also and <laughs> we we had a lot of laughs about how awkward and uncomfortable and difficult that is when you see the terror in people's eyes so yeah. How has that been for you, sending your kid to kindergarten yeah, that and was, having to use the C word? That was actually the moment 
on the first day of school that I cried was actually having to explain that. So um, we talked about this, like, I mean, you say Marfan syndrome, most people haven't heard of that. And so you kind of have to educate them on that. I have one that has cerebral palsy. Most people know what that is and they know it's not terminal. So that's just kind of an okay. They ask if she's, you know, mobile and if she's verbal, which she is very much mobile and very verbal. (laughs) Um, And then what did, I'm sorry, what, what was her most recent verbal? Yeah. Yeah. She, uh, she proposed to the pizza delivery man on my behalf. It was awesome. She has a thing that she really likes to to propose to just random men on my behalf. She's on a mission. I have a great video of her like, we're going to work to find you a husband. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. It's, it's okay. You can, you can stop on this. Um, yeah, she chased down the pizza delivery guy and... And told him that he should marry me. And I was like, it's okay. You can you can go. It's you don't fine. have to marry me. I promise. <laughs> I'm so sorry. And I would probably give you a bigger tip. But that'd be really inappropriate in this moment. So I'm going to nod. Hey, guys. A quick break to talk about one of our sponsors, Little Box of Decorations. LBD has become my go-to for every celebratory event ever. They will take literally any idea you have and transform it into an amazing event. I used them for my daughter's birthday party last spring and most recently for my season five lunch party, which you are listening to right now. They will send you a curated box of decor, table settings, games, and more, all within your budget right to your doorstep. Check them out for literally all of your party and event needs at littleboxofdecorations.co. Don't you go sticking an M at the end. That's littleboxofdecorations.co. This episode is also brought to you by Alpha Lit Letters. Do you need marquee letters to really add something to your party? I'm I'm guessing you do. I certainly did. I love using them. Go to alphalitletters.com to find a location near you and take your event to the next level. Um, I've gotten to the point that I know now, like I don't openly say, yeah, I had a kid who had cancer unless it is part of that conversation. Like she's not in treatment. She's doing very well. Um, but now that she's starting kindergarten, I have to explain that to her teacher because she spent two and a half, almost three years just with me and with doctors and nurses. And she was sick all the time and she was, wasn't playing with peers. And so what we, how we see that impact her right now is socially. She doesn't know how to interact with her peers and she doesn't know how to make friends. And so I was trying to tell her teacher that she's painfully shy and she doesn't answer questions. Um, but we went to the, um, meet the teacher, which was the day before school started, but she was so busy and I couldn't, I couldn't say it. So then we go, I took the paperwork home to fill out that night and bring it back to her the next morning for the first day of school. And I, I go in and she, she's showing Hayden where to put her code and everything. And, um, she's like, okay, we're going to have you. Uh, you know, have a great day. I'm, I'll take good care of it. I said, I'm, I'm sure you will, but I need you to like, she had sent home this, you know, all about me paper. And there's one that says like, are there any uh, other things I need to know? And I said, I actually, before I can leave, I have, you have to read this box. And I'm, I'm real sorry because I know when I'm about to say that to somebody, I'm about to drop a bomb on them mm-hmm. that they're not expecting. And I literally watch as it washes over them and they're like, Oh, and they feel that and then I have to say but it's okay it's okay and she's looking at her and I watched it like hit her and she was like oh my gosh and I said she's it's okay she's she's doing very well and she's looking at Hayden and seeing her like skipping around with the little blonde pigtails and I was like she she's fine um, but I needed you to know this before I can just leave and it's an interesting thing like and it's a hard spot to be when I have to tell people because I know like I'm about to drop a bomb on you and it's it's ugly mm-hmm. um, and there's some hard stuff yes 
and then I feel bad because I'm like, I just, you're, you know, it was the first day of kindergarten. They're supposed to be all happy. And I'm like, hey, here's the thing you probably should know. Yeah. And those conversations are so hard because you don't, you don't want to mar, um, I don't know, their vision of your kid and you don't want that to change right. their childhood, but it, it does. It does. And, uh, I had to fill out the same paperwork this year and at the bottom I just put I would love to meet with you about rocks smiley face yes (laughs) and then she was like well I have time right now and I was like oh okay we're doing this now well where do I start and she just the fear and anyway I was just like I'm very sorry he's fine ish but good good luck yeah she's (laughs) like um can she play at recess and what do I and I was like no 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 Treat her like a normal five-year-old. I promise she is okay. It's it's fine. Just know that like if you're asking her questions, she might not answer in front of the group because she's just socially very shy right now. Yeah. And so you know, I wanna I wanna sum up this part of our interview because I wanna give time for Kelly to ask questions. So you guys in the audience, and for those of you listening at home, sorry you missed out on this, but for those in the audience, go ahead and get your questions in. But Anne, I know that you've talked. Um, it's kind of been uh, pieced out throughout the entire interview. But if you had to just sum it all up into one thing that you would tell advice or encouragement to adoptive families walking this path when they have a genetic or just something crazy come up that has nothing to do with anything and now they're thrown into this and yeah. now they're all of a sudden a cancer mom. Right. And I love that you say the club that, what was it, the club that you never wanted to be a part of but that you're so glad yes. you are. Yeah, so my my one thing is just you have to find your people. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to find your people who are, are the cancer moms or the Marfan moms. You have to find those but then you just have to find your friends within your community too and really plug in and let them help you. I think that we so often want to, it's a pride thing, but we want to take care of our own stuff and we don't want to show everybody else our brokenness. And so we don't want to let people show up and help us. And it's vitally important that we let them do that, especially in those seasons where we're figuring this out and this new diagnosis and this new normal. Yeah. And it's humbling. It's humbling yeah, it to, to have to admit to yourself first that you are in need, that you need help right. and that you're not normal and that your kid's not normal. And yeah. those are all really hard things to swallow. And once you do, I feel like it's a lot easier. It is. But goodness. Yeah. Okay. Well, um, I'm going to let Kelly get up here and she's going to ask some of the more serious questions first. And then we'll, uh, I have some fun questions for you. Oh, okay. We'll see what everyone else has come up with as well. <laughs> come on in. I'm taking this right. <clears throat> yes. Okay. Hey guys. Okay. So we've got some questions for you, Anne. Are you oh, ready? No. I, I'm, I think I'm ready. Okay. So how do you balance, how did you balance parenting your other kids when you okay. were working with a really sick kid? How are you dealing with kids at the hospital and kids at home? And what did that look like? I mean, I wouldn't say that I did that well. <laughs> um, I'm, my, my kid's dad is involved, so he was there to help with, when I was at the hospital. Um, so that helped too. But really, because Hayden was so young, um, she went to bed fairly early. She slept a lot. So I made sure to budget time to spend one-on-one with the rest of the kids, check in regularly. We did a lot of like family meetings where the little girls would go to bed and the rest of us would just sit on the couch and I'd just say, okay, what all? And it was sometimes, sometimes they, they were fine. Sometimes we'd joke and play games. And sometimes it was like this mass word vomit of all the things that were going wrong. And I would sit there and just like let them say those things because they need the space to do that. And I let them see... When I was struggling, too, I think that's really important for us to do so that they know that their emotions are okay. Um, but scheduling one-on-one time, going to have lunch with them at school, all of that's really important. For my big girls, I'm a firm believer in mental health days, so my bigger girls occasionally, when they could say, I, I can't handle school today, I'd say, okay, let's stay home then. It's cool. I No, I have a follow-up to that because I think that 
when you have um, when you have kids that are saying really hard things to you, yeah. and sometimes you feel like you have no more capacity for that, how did you somehow find more? Um, again, that's one of those like I didn't have a choice. Like you have to just take it and listen to it. And I know I like. I'm a feeler of all the feelings. So I would just sit in that space and just say, okay, just remember to take this from them. They will eventually go to bed. I can go have my hot bath in just a minute and process all of this, but really be present for them in that moment because that's what they need from me. Mm. It's not easy because there were definite times where I'm like, I need to, I need to check out, but I just couldn't. That's hard. Yeah. How complicated was it getting treatment for a child for cancer when the ink is not even dry on the adoption paperwork. <laughs> yeah, that wasn't easy. That was um, it was an impressive thing. And I felt bad. I mean, she was diagnosed the day after adoption. Um, and so as we check into the hospital, her birth name is up on, on all the things. Like you could walk through the halls and see it on the monitors. And I'm like, that's not actually, I don't know how to explain this to you, but that's not really her name anymore. Um, so I actually had to call DCFS and explain the situation to them. And they were fantastic so she was adopted on a Tuesday diagnosed on a Wednesday I had um, certified adoption decrees in my inbox Thursday um, which was impressive that is an impressive yeah. rate yeah. Um, Someone who's adopted yeah knows you know that was impressive. it was very impressive um, they hit they got to me I sent them and Hayden was actually in surgery at the time they were installing her port for all of her chemo and they somehow messed it up and 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 corrected her bio name to her sister's name first and then I was like that's not her name either it's the other one so then I had to go switch and so in the course of that surgery she was like three different names which they're like that might mess up (laughs) Medicaid we're not really sure we've never had this happen before but we think it's correct now Oh my gosh, that is wild. That that stressed me out on your behalf yeah, at the time. Little, I was like, can something just go right? Can we pick right. one thing? Well, we've already mentioned in the show that you get a lot of questions from a lot of people yeah. in this area because you're kind of like the boss of foster care. And I'm just wondering, how did you navigate all of the other questions that you're still, not everybody knew what was going on with Hayden right. at the time. You're still getting bombarded with random questions about foster care and bio parents and whatever. How did you delegate that? Did you answer that? Did you... How, how did you handle that? I think, again, I had a really, really great team um, who let me delegate that, who I could just say, hey, can you answer this question for this person? And you answer this question. And eventually, um, everybody kind of understood what was going on and, and then took their questions for the most part to the team. But it's, again, important to have those people who can step in on your behalf and answer all of those questions when I just could not. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one of my favorites was, didn't the team put a sign on the door of yes. the office that was like, stop, if you have been. If you've been around anybody that's sick or you are sick please just do not come into our office and I, I love showing up to the office and seeing that sign thank you <laughs> so how did your biological and other adopted children react like how did you even tell them oh gosh the news well I I wasn't there um I was in the hospital they were home with their dad who had to tell them and I I mean the doctor walked in to the emergency room and told me and then he's like are do you want to call your husband or should I and I was like I can't speak these things out loud and I can't send a text so I'm gonna need you to do that um and so he sat down and told them and I think it took them a long time to process like they didn't understand they had a few questions right at, like at first about you know is she going to die and then we I mean we were in Little Rock for 10 days before we got to come home and they got to see her again and that was hard but they all processed it differently and I actually one of my kids within the last few months has finally come to the space where he's processing and he'll come to me and say, Hayden had cancer. And I said, yeah. 
she could have died. Yeah, buddy, she could have. And like, he's just now to the spot where he feels safe enough to ask the hard questions and process it. So they all processed it differently. But I think that it was just kind of like ripping off a Band-Aid. You just have to say it and tell him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, you've mentioned that she's doing pretty good and she started kindergarten yeah. this week. So what is her prognosis at this point? Like what kind of treatment does she still receive? If yeah. any, like what's it look like for her? Okay, so for a child, Hayden specifically had acute lymphoblastic leukemia, ALL, which is the most common form of childhood cancer. It is also the most treatable. So from the very beginning, her prognosis rate was, I mean, 96 to 98%. All of her genetics were favorable when they tested for it. There are a few genes that could make it so that it's a little bit harder to, to beat. Um, and she sailed through treatment. She did great. Um, and so her prognosis is still, I mean, it is less like relapse, her chances of relapse are less than 1% at this point. She has been off of treatment for over a year. Um, so for that first year after she ended chemo, we had to go monthly for them to test. They do um, blood draws and check her levels for everything, um, make sure that she's her blood is rebounding now that she's not on chemo. She's doing great. Now that we're in year two, she goes every other month. Then it does taper down to going, um, I think, quarterly. And then some oncologists will track once a year, um, until they hit puberty or until the children are 18. It kind of depends on the oncologist and what they're wanting to track. But she is a year and a half off of treatment now, and she'll have to have be continuously monitored at least for that first five years. And then after five years off treatment is when a child with ALL is considered cured. Wow. That's a long time. That's a long time. And she's getting old enough now. That was one of the things that I was thankful for when she was diagnosed is she was so young that like she just wouldn't know what she was missing out on, and she wouldn't know that everything is different for her, and now she does. She's old enough that she's starting to ask the questions like, why am I the only one that got cancer and nobody else got cancer? And why do I have to go get poked by, th- by the needle and nobody else does? And, um, and she's starting to ask the hard questions. Mm. That is really hard. Yeah. Cool. Okay. So this is the part where we usually do the outro and then I get to ask some really fun questions. So I don't know if everyone else scared. has had fun questions, but I'll do mine first and then you okay. can do yours. Okay. <clears throat> Anne, what is your opposite Enneagram number? Opposite Enneagram number? I don't know. What is the opposite of my Like, Enneagram? what's the anti-Anne? The anti-Anne? Um, oh, probably a one. A rule that's follower. Me. I know. <laughs> I know. That's why I didn't want to say that. I, have... <laughs> I thought one was your wing. No, you're No, eight. I'm a nine wing eight. Yeah. Um, awesome. I, I mean, I don't know what the opposite would be. But I, I guess maybe the one, like the, I have a child who is a strong one and she's my hardest child to parent because <laughs> she's very stickler for all the rules. Was I hard to parent? I don't know. Is it? <laughs> That's another podcast. <laughs> we'll, we'll discuss that later. They don't have the mic, so they don't get to answer. We can just say that they're, they're shaking their heads no and saying you were a delight. I was a delight. Um, okay. Well, what is your guilty pleasure fast food? Oh, goodness. That probably depends on the day, but I can never, ever, ever walk past, like, a hot pizza. If, if I let that in my house, I'm a goner. I all the time think, I can order pizza and, and not eat it. No, I'm going to eat the pizza every time. I, yeah, 100%. we're just kidding, kidding ourselves when we're like, it's fine. Can go to- there are a lot of things that I can, I can ignore and let people eat in front of me, and, but pizza. Yeah. <laughs> That's a good one. Okay. You're, you're trapped. You're in trouble. There's danger. What three fictional characters are going to save you? Well, MacGyver. Okay. Um, and Sherlock Holmes. 
Okay. And uh, Inspector Gadget. Solid. All detectives. Those, that's a good crew. <laughs> Solid. What was your favorite go-go gadget? Um, oh, gosh. I don't know. I liked that hand that came out of his hat. Mm. I liked the propeller that came out that of his hat. That was pretty fantastic, yeah. Or the parachute. I still say go-go gadget arm on occasion. I used to pretend yeah. to be Penny and had a dog and, like... Did you have pigtails? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Great show. <laughs> <laughs> now I just really want to sing the theme song. <laughs> I mean, I you can. It's all right. No, 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 no. It's your show. <laughs> it is my show. Uh, Kelly, what fun questions do you have? Uh, I have a super great one that just came in. So oh, no. you, you mentioned that you're now divorced. Um, should you go on a date at this point? Do you kind of <laughs> lead with, I have eight kids and like they got all these issues? I mean, I think so. I think, yeah. How's that go? You gotta just, <laughs> the pizza well, guy already knows. The pizza guy knew. You know, I don't, I haven't had the opportunity to say, hey, I'm Ann. And then somebody to say, would you like to have dinner? And then I say, well, you should know that I have eight children. Now that I've never had that conversation. But um. I did like that question, though. Thank you to whoever sent that. Uh, Anne is wearing some rocking shoes tonight. And you can't see them if you're just listening to a podcast. But somebody legit wants to know where you got them. Uh, what Dillard's. Are the They're from Dillard's. Okay. Dillard's. Dillard's. Are yeah. they in the sassy shoe collection? Absolutely. They- how many sassy shoes do you have now? Uh, I don't know. How many sassy shoes do I have? I don't like... Are you, you're counting the, Jolene's going to count we my shoes in for audience. me. Jolene counting in the, the audience is counting like, them. I don't know, six. Okay, there's the leopard print ones. I have two pairs of leopard print shoes. The gold ones. I have some that are like a turquoise snakeskin. Um, two pairs of gold, the gold sparkly ones, and then these, I don't know. Okay, okay. The teal ones and the orange ones don't count as sassy, do they? They're a lower heel. Thank you. Ryan says no. All, Any qualifiers all the on what sassy looks are not so sassy. appreciative of this conversation right now. <laughs> I feel like Kelly, you should answer the three fictional question, uh, the three fictional characters question. Oh yes. Um, I was not prepared for this, um, but I have seven sons, and so it would probably be like some Pokemon characters. <laughs> okay, okay. They would probably evolve into things that could help me. I don't even know some Power Rangers. I mean, everybody could use one of those around yeah. um, at any given time, and probably a Leonardo. The- Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle. Oh, he's my favorite. Yeah. He's totally a one. I'm just letting you know. Obviously. I didn't say I didn't like ones. You asked what the opposite was. I know, I know. Okay, I think that's going to do it for this episode. Thank you guys so much. Thank you so much for listening to the Adoptive Mom Podcast. I hope you found encouragement here. I need you to know that you are enough and you're doing a great job. We are all in this together and I am over here cheering you on. Don't forget to check out show notes for this episode and other resources at the adoptive mom podcast.com. Thanks for joining us.